Happy Tuesday, everyone. Karen Fontenot here welcoming you to another episode of Genesis on Tuesday, where we study the great first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, Genesis, where we find every doctrine of scripture included in this book, along with God's great plan of redemption for us in and through Jesus Christ. Now, let's get right into the content. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. That's capitalized capital S-E-E-D, for her seed. It, or he, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his, that's capital H-I-S, heel. Verse 16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And unto Adam he said, Because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face shall you eat bread till you return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto the dust shalt thou return. <clears throat> Verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks today for your word. Thank you for another opportunity to come together and study your word together. I thank you for everyone listening now and who shall ever listen to this podcast and I ask open our eyes O Lord that we may behold great and wondrous things out of thy law grant us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand and believe in the name of Jesus amen <clears throat> This is um, this is tough, you know. Even just reading, uh, reading it, reading the scripture, I could sense the heaviness or the weightiness um, of that, the first and the divine sentence, um, of which there had to be a sentence, you know, um, the one commandment that God had given to his man and it was only one 
um, and the man violated it. You know, it's kind of, it's almost the type of thing that if we consider a circumstance or um, let's say you live in a home or you grow up in an environment and in a family in which there are a lot of prohibitions. You know, there's just, there's lots of rules and, and you know, so much that you're not allowed to do and so many to keep and maybe almost so many that you have to write them down and keep them with you wherever you go so you won't, um, you know, stumble and violate one of them. But, <clears throat> And then to the extent that if that were the case, if you did violate one, then you could you could be, you know, the penalty wouldn't be so severe because there are so many that you have to follow. <clears throat> but in this case, um, you know, the man was, as we said before, he is God's son, God's offspring. And yet... Um, and 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 as fitting, the child of the maker and possessor of heaven and earth, the God of all creation, the God of whom there is no beginning, he who is from everlasting to everlasting, as it is written, and you are his offspring, well, yes, everything is yours, of course. The world is yours, the earth is yours, and the fullness thereof, you know, uh, <clears throat> such that, and so great is the privilege and the honor by virtue of just who you are. You are his offspring, offspring of the Most High God, and in the greatness of and the wonderfulness of God our Father, his family is given but one, only one prohibition. And just to, to ponder it now, it really doesn't seem like that much to ask. You know what I mean? Just to be given one prohibition. But the man violated it. And it was most egregious. And there is a saying, um, or more than just a saying, but there is a part of law in sentencing, in the carrying out of certain, of, in, the, in the sentencing phase of um, if a person is found guilty of an offense, the saying goes that, or the practice seems to be that the punishment should fit the crime. And to examine, as we're going to do today, the penalty um, and the punishment inflicted by God upon his son shows the extent to which the man offended God, offended his father. And indeed, what the man did is he committed high treason against his father. Because as we established before, you know, God gave the man dominion over all the works of his hands. Remember? from the fish of the sea to the fowls of the air. Everyone, the high and the low, um, all the works of his hands. So let us examine this, and we are going to talk today about the sentence, the terrible sentence. <clears throat> but even in the sentence, there was redemption. A redemption is in the works. God had a plan. He had a ransom. So in verse 14 of chapter 3, 
the Lord God said unto the serpent. So what really is going on here is this is the high court of heaven. It is the Lord God, yes, but it is the court of heaven come down to earth to judge and to rule in this situation. So the Lord turns, first of all, directly to the serpent. Whereas previously we saw in verse 9 that the Lord asked Adam where he was, so he had a question for him, and the Lord engages in a conversation with Adam, and he the Lord asks him, what have you done? You know, who told you that you were naked? And what have you done? Have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat? And then the Lord goes to the woman in verse 13, and he asks her, what is this that you have done? And he gives her the opportunity to give an answer. But in verse 14, you see that to the serpent, God asks no question. There's no discussion, no conference, no conversation at all. The serpent is guilty immediately without question, and God curses the serpent. He says, because you have done this. So he didn't even ask, ask him. He said, no, oh, you're guilty. Point blank. Because you have done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. Now, this is a twofold situation because as we said before, you know, the serpent, God is speaking to the serpent, the animal, yes. But he's also talking to the to Satan, who is in the serpent. Um, the The serpent was the instrument or the vehicle, whereas you know Satan was the driver, the instigator, and the principal behind it. And so God here meets out a strong punishment and a damnation on to both of them. And so to the serpent, he said, the animal itself, so it's not just that particular serpent, but it's all serpents, that they are uh, cursed above all cattle and, er and above every beast of the field. Now, remember, it should be noted that we remember back in chapter one, God blessed the animal kingdom. If I just, let's see. Yeah. And God, let's see, verse, chapter 1, verse 24, or actually even going back to verse 20, when God says, let the earth, or excuse me, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures. So you've got the fish and the fowl of the heavens, great whales, so forth and so on. But verse 22, and verse 22 says that God blessed them. So God blessed the animals, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. Um, now, I see too, as it goes over to verses 24 and 25, he says, let the earth bring forth the living creatures and then beasts of the earth um, and everything that creeps upon the earth. And so here, at least the fish and the fowl God had blessed. And here in the, and he also gave them a diet of which to eat. And God pronounced <clears throat> upon the animals that they would eat of the herbs of the field. 
And so, but notice here to the serpent being cursed above all of the animals, he said that, let's see, upon thy belly shalt thou go. To dwell upon one's belly and to eat the dust of the earth is a symbol of utmost and complete humiliation. Uh, Psalm 44 in verse 25 talks about the utmost of a part. It talks about people who are, whose bellies are cleaving to the earth because they are on their faces appealing to, you know, God's mercy, but it is the most humiliating of all postures that can be taken. Psalm 72 and verse 9 talks about the utter defeat of licking the dust. It is also observed by um, Jarshi and Aben Ezra say, and it is believed that the serpent prior to this awful event had legs or stood in an upright position and was able to walk. Uh, but at this event, his legs were cut off. And indeed, um, and that indeed is borne out by the scripture here because presumably if he was, if the serpent was created originally crawling on his, on its belly, then that wouldn't be a part of the divine sentence here. But he says, upon your belly shall you go and dust shall you eat. And you know, that not only, <clears throat> and again, it's twofold if we consider the physical animal, the serpent, uh, as well as, or say, the physical animal, the serpent, being one who had legs, one who was able to walk upright, but then to be slammed to the ground and to have, to be legs cut off and you have to whittle around on your belly and you think of how that must hurt and just to, well, it, again, it's just utter defeat and humiliation, the ultimate. And likewise, Satan, who was functioning in the serpent, that also speaks to his downfall. You know, Jesus said um, that he, he, Jesus told his disciples, he said, hey, I saw Satan fall from heaven. I saw him fall from heaven. And it is a great, he said he fell like lightning. I mean, cast down. It was an utter and a complete fall. And, you know, it is fitting. And, and it also, when the scripture talks about um, those who, well, Jesus told um some of the Pharisees that they were of their father, the devil. And he also called them, um, you son, what you sons of vipers or you, he called them vipers, uh, and whitewashed sepulchers. God continues in verse 15 in the sentence of the serpent. And he says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. <clears throat> God put a hatred, uh, an enmity between the serpent and the woman. And that has continued to this day. That continues for all, for all time. And it actually is not just that particular serpent and the woman, uh, Eve, but that's for every species of snake and every woman to this day, and even men, you know, everybody hates snakes. And the first, you know, when, when we first see a snake, especially women, but everybody, we have nothing to do with it. The first thought is to shoot them, cut their heads off something, but get rid of them. But 
everybody hates snakes. And, you know, serpents and snakes are symbols of, even as metaphors, you know, what do you call a low-down, dirty person? A snake in the grass? You know, uh, <clears throat> there is great enmity between serpents and mankind to this day. However, in this case, God is speaking specifically to and the wonderful grace and the eternal benevolence and the love of God who is a father and these are his children after all. And he is already talking about redemption. He's already talking about a remedy to this awful, awful situation. And it occurs to me of the scripture in Job uh, where he said to Job, I have found a ransom for you. Um, I'd like to refer to that scripture right now. Job chapter 33 and verse 24 says this, then he, capital H, talking about God, is gracious unto him and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom, and that R in ransom is capitalized. It's talking about Messiah. Verse 25, His flesh, meaning Job's flesh, shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him, and he shall see his face with joy, for he will render unto man his righteousness. And so, but he talks in Job about a ransom, and that he is actually referring to that, we see that right at the beginning, right at the moment when uh, the fall had taken place and God has already talking about a remedy. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6 talks about Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. And God See, back here in Genesis 3.15, he said he will put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, and the woman's seed is capitalized, and that's talking about Jesus. And, um, you know, there's something else interesting here, too, that is not discussed much at all. <clears throat> and, I mean, I, for one... I've been in church all my life from young childhood and Sunday school, VBS and everything else. And I've never heard much at all about the seed of the serpent. Not gee, wow. I mean, who, who knew that the serpent had a seed, his seed and her seed. My goodness. And, <clears throat> As I mentioned just previously, you know, Jesus, well, you know, Jesus certainly knew about it because he even talked about, as we said, the, uh, some of the religious people who were, who he called sons of vipers and um, told them that they were of their father, the devil. And, you know, I'm also reminded of the scriptures that <clears throat> talk about walking in the spirit or life in the spirit versus the life in the flesh, um, which when you, we, even, and even the fruit of the spirit, he said, what the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, and it names all these awful things, lasciviousness, evil concupiscence, you know, just so forth and so on, just a terrible list of things, which, a hearken back to the, you know, crawling on your belly and eating the dust. It's the low 
base things of life, lust of the flesh and all that kind of stuff. It's just low living and baseness, whereas and contrasted with the life in the spirit. So continuing in verse 15, he said that he shall bruise his heel. So basically saying that all that the devil will be able to do is, you know, nip at the heels of mankind. That because he is a snake in the grass and we uh, as sons and daughters of God, children of God, we, he really is under our feet. We walk in dominion in the earth and, you know, Messiah walked in dominion and all the devil was able to really do was kind of nip at his heels or, or, you know, tempt him on a temporary basis. Um, just as with us, he is not able to inflict anything of a permanent nature on us but however in speaking of Jesus and the capital H or the capital S in the seed of the woman God says um, he talking about Jesus shall bruise his head so whereas you know, Satan would only be able to nip at the heels of Messiah, but Messiah will bruise and will crush his head, a mortal wound, and bring him to naught. So now continuing in verse 16 with the sentencing. And, you know, it is also quite interesting to note here that we talked about how, you know, the woman transgressed and the man transgressed and um you know we even though we know that God had given the man the charge to keep the garden guard it protect it and so forth and we talk about how they both should have kicked that serpent as far out of there as he could as they could throw him but and and so even however it's interesting to note that even though the sin was on them still, you know, God punished the serpent anyway. Well, you know, it does occur to us because you see, without the serpent instigating and enticing the woman, then they never would have sinned. And you know, the book of James in chapter one, it tells us, that every man, every man sins when he is enticed. So you see, that's, and again, that's why, another reason why there's no redemption for the devil, because, you know, man sinned from being enticed. If he was just left alone, and if he wasn't tempted, then we, you know we wouldn't have wound up in that in that mess but as we said before iniquity iniquity itself was found in satan so he has no chance whatsoever of any redemption redemption is for man who was enticed but the iniquity was not in the man iniquity came the iniquity was found in the serpent who tempted amen isn't that good to know verse 16 God continues unto the woman he said I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception so she, she's got multiplication of conception. So she's going to have, she will conceive many children, but he also is multiplying the sorrow in that and our sorrow in the pregnancy, I think would be 
the better translation appears to be, and in sorrow she will bring forth the children. And one commentator, John Gill, says that uh, the multiplying or the multiplication of sorrows is he's talking about from, you know, start to finish, not only in in the birthing process and the pain of childbirth and labor and delivery, but also just from the beginning, from, you know, ailments to morning sickness to discomforts to, you know, um, not being able to eat certain foods and aromas making you, you know, sick to your stomach, just all types of things that all of it. And then, of course, as the child grows and you get the discomfort that you get larger and larger. And, you know, it is observed here, um, Jarshi notes that, and I had no idea about this, but it's, it is noted here that the woman has more difficult labor and more painful childbirth delivery than any animal in the animal kingdom. Wow. He says, in sorrow you will bring forth your children and your desire shall be to your husband and he shall rule over you. Boy, that's really a heavy heavy penalty and quite a shift that since he was, um, since he sinned at her suggestion or that she is the one who gave the fruit to him to eat, that as a consequence, then he is going to rule over her, which is certainly gives the indication that before they fell, that there's was a more um, that they were that they were seen as equals um, as a man and wife that they were equals and then after the fall you know he rules over her and actually that is quite true because we see a reversal of that um, in Christ where Jesus came along and he really, he elevated women. Uh, and even the scripture tells us later, the apostle Paul said that there is neither male nor female in Christ. So they, Jesus brought the equality back and put, you know, men and women more on the, on an equal as it were, um, we're going to see something here, too, before we close out today that uh, it seems to indicate that the man, upon hearing God say that, that he really, well, hearing God say that he shall rule over you, there's some indication that the man really took that to heart and took uh, took that to his advantage. And we're just, let's just put it that way, and we'll say something about that before we close out because we see that after this event women were greatly diminished um you not too long or at some point after this would well, be some generations later but you will see how you know men began taking more than one wife that is a woman diminished greatly um also women as seen as property and can be, you know, sold as uh, slaves and various things like that. Women became just greatly diminished after that. And um, it, it's, it's a real shame. But I'm not saying here, and the scripture is not saying that God did that, but that man did it. But let's just go on, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Verse 17, And unto Adam he said, Because, because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which 
I commanded you saying. Now, so this is twofold. He, number one, God is saying, because you hearkened unto the voice of your wife, the heavy trespass by the man there is that he is supposed to listen to God first and foremost, because before the woman was even formed by God, before God had ever brought the woman forth, it was him and the man. It was God and his son, and the man was subject to God. So he's saying, first of all, you're supposed to listen to me. He's not talking about something as simple as the woman saying, hey, let's go fly a kite or something, you know, and, and, and him, he's saying, okay, sure, let's go do that. I mean, honestly, of course, that's not what he's, he's not talking about something innocent like that, but he is talking about his son acting at the behest of someone else in direct violation of what God, his father, had expressly commanded that he not do. As he says, and as he continues in verse 17, because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that is betrayal of the highest order and in fact, it is high treason because that was the one commandment that God had given to the man of which, with Adam being the federal head of mankind, that action and that disobedience of his cost or came to, came at a cost to all men who would come after him. It is the greatest and the highest betrayal of all, and it indeed is high treason that turned the entire creative order on its head. As God continues... Cursed is the ground for your sake, or cursed is the ground because of you. In sorrow shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. Now, wait a minute. Look at all the downgrades here. I mean, just downgrade, downgrade, downgrade. Well, wait a minute. Who was given the diet to eat of the herbs of the field? Well, that's the diet of the animals. Uh-oh. The man was given the diet of the fruit of the trees. My goodness. My, my, my. To go from the to, to go from freely being able to freely eat of all of the fruits of the trees of the garden except for one to being reduced to the diet of the animals, which is of the herbs of the field. This is very, very, very heavy stuff. Do you see here now what is has actually happened here and just the fall that has taken place here? So, you know, God is saying you're going to, you are now relegated to the same diet as the animals 
Well, do you remember how we talked before about who Adam is? Um, Aleph, Dalet, Mem, with the Aleph being God, and then the Dalet, Mem, the Dome being the red, red earth, or blood in the face, or the ground. So basically, and we talked about how the man has um, that Adama. If you go back to uh, gen the episode on day six, man, it is ta it talked about uh, the Ad man being made of the dust of the Adama, and one of the definitions of Adama is to be similar. And so, with Adam being having God in him, he's comprised of God and the dust that he it is his choice of which he will be he said i will be similar so i will be similar to god my father my maker or i'll be just like an animal you know uh not not much more than an animal i will choose which i will be similar to and so now you know, God had said to him that in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And as we said before, he didn't die physically, but the the God part of him, the Aleph, the Ah in the dome, the, the Aleph, the God part of him was cut off. So he became spiritually dead after that. So he was not much more than an animal because he had been after that separated spiritually from God and we see that now that his diet is reduced to the same as the animals and oh my goodness it just occurs to me as we will see later we won't talk about it tonight but we're also going to see that isn't it any wonder that in subsequent years before Jesus Christ and before his blood made the final sacrifice that the blood of an animal was enough to suffice for the sins of a man for a year? Oh, my Lord, the blood of an animal. Mm-mm-mm. Verse 19, in the sweat of your face shall you eat bread till you return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So now he's just a creature of the dust. You know, the God part of him is 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 just is is gone. And now he's just a creature of the dust. My goodness. Doesn't the scripture tell us in Romans that because of one man's disobedience all men died because of the disobedience of Adam. All men, death came upon unmen, became death came upon all men because of that one man's disobedience. And it says, however, because of one man's obedience. That's talking about Jesus Christ. Because of his obedience, all men are made alive. Oh, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank God for Jesus. Let's end today with verse 20. And this is going to, this will be a good stopping point because this will definitely give you something to chew on. Um, verse 20 says, and Adam called his wife, listen, and Adam 
called his wife's name Eve. Now, you know, God didn't call her Eve. Adam called her that. God called both of them Adam. You remember? He said, what, in chapter 2, in the image of God, created he him, male and female, created he them, and he called their name Adam. God called both of them Adam. But verse 20 says after this that Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Now, l let me say something here. Let Check this out. I always presume that that was a a name that he gave her that was, um, you know, a, a loving gesture uh, until I heard a very learned minister say that he's actually, that that was a reprimand and a downgrade that Adam downgraded her. And again, God didn't do it. But let's just look at something here, and we're going to talk a minute about the Hebrew language again. Now, you know how we said that Adam, who both of them were named Adam by God, and the uh, Aleph, Dalet, Mem, Adam, has a numerical value of 45. We talked about that before. And we also said that Adam <clears throat> is God, your mother, and your father. Okay, Adam is Aleph, Dalet, Mem. So the Aleph, remember, has a numerical value of one. That's God. Dalit has a numerical value of 40. That takes you to 41. And then Mem, for your mother, Mem, Aleph, Dalit, Mem, has a value of 4. So that's Aleph, Dalit, Mem, has a numerical value of 45. That's a dome. Now, but let me just say something about this. The Aleph, which has the numerical value of one, but who is, we said that Aleph is God. Yes. Well, God's name, which is has been translated Yahweh, um, it's actually, it's four consonants. And you may or may not have heard of this, I think, well, I know that we mentioned it before, especially on the uh, episode that talked about day five of uh, life and breath. Well, God's name, and this is the ineffable name of God, the name that uh, is so holy that um, the, you know, the Jews, either they don't, they don't say it, they... They either say, we said that they will say, rather than speak of the ineffable name, they will say either Hashem or Adonai. Well, that ineffable name is Yud, Hey, Va, Hey, or Y H V H. Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. Now, that the ineffable name yud hey vah hey has a total numerical value of 26. Okay, now remember Adam, Adam Dalit Mem is God and the dome. All right, so Adam has a numerical value of 45. The yud hey vav hey, the aleph yud hey vav hey has a numerical value of 26. 
So if you subtract 26, if you subtract God or the ineffable name of God from 45, then you have 19. 45 minus 26. So Adam minus God is 19. 19 is the numerical value for the word Eve. So basically, Adam <clears throat> gave her, he said that, you know, he kept the name Adam, but he called her Eve. So he basically, he's saying, I'm the one who's going to be, you know, listening to God around here, which he should have been listening to God from the start. I mean, he, <laughs> okay, well, yeah, okay, go ahead and be the big man now. I mean, you know, why didn't you speak up and take up for your wife? Why didn't you say, no, we're going to do it when she suggested that you eat the fruit and disobey God? Why weren't, why didn't you stand up and be the man then and say, no, we're going to listen to God? But after that, after the fall, he ch he calls her Eve. So... He he keeps the name Adam, so he takes, he removes God from her and keeps God to himself, and he calls her Eve, that she's the mother of all the living, or in other words, she's the one who's gotten us into this mess. And... Uh, <laughs> Um, chew on that, chew on that and, um, pray on it and, um, let the Lord lead you, study it, meditate it. Um, but indeed we see that as we said, when, you know, the man heard God say that your husband would rule over you, well, I think he took that and said, yes, I sure will. And so he's the one then who claims to have the relationship with God. My goodness. Well, and then I'll just jump ahead just a little bit and say, just to give some more validity to that, we see that after they had their first child or uh, a man, a boy that she named Cain, she said, I got me a man from the Lord. So, which seems to suggest some uh, disappointment and some uh, conflict in their marriage. Well, this is a good place to stop for today. I would love, by the way, to hear, I'd love to hear your comments. I really, really would on this episode today. But may the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the lesson. See you again next week.